This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 12, Episode 52. This is Writing Excuses, cross-genre stories as gateway drugs. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Piper. I'm Dan. And I want something new. So, Piper, you pitched us this episode. Tell us why. Because there are a lot of books out there that can be the gateway to getting you to read something you wouldn't have read before. And I wanted us to talk about that more. Like, what kinds of ty- what kinds of books do you have? And what kinds of books have you read that have been gateways to another genre that you might not have read previously or that you didn't think you would like, but because it worked, you're willing to try more? Yeah, I, I like this idea. Um, so one of the things I often say is people who don't read genre fiction pretend it's monolithic, right? That there is only one thing that is a romance story, one thing that is a fantasy story, one thing that is mystery. And that's because certain iconic stories are so popular um, and, and do very well. In fantasy, it is Farm Boy Saves the World, right? It, uh, it's the, the hero's journey about a person on a kid on a farm who finds a wise mentor who then takes them on a quest and then usually dies and then they have to step up and save the world. Um, this is what people think. But the thing is, within the genre, there are actually very few novels that are that. They're some of the big popular ones. But there are very few that do that. And the genre is full of stacks and stacks of things that are actually blending and hybridizing and taking his new directions and interesting, doing all kinds of interesting things. Yeah. I could go first and say that my gateway to romance, because mm-hmm. I was a science fiction and fantasy reader all through my youth up into, I think, the year, oh gosh, I have it on my website somewhere, like 2006 or 2008, I read my first romance novel, and it was C.L. Wilson um, and her Terran Soul series. And it, I happened to be an anime con and I was maybe a little hungover, and so I didn't go for the early morning panels and instead snagged this, what looked like to me, an epic fantasy book that my friend had left in the hotel room and started reading this amazing, wonderful, epic fantasy featuring a hero who was so heartbroken when his first love died, he scorched the world. Mm. And I was, I was in, all in, finished that book that day and said, let's go to Barnes & Noble. I want to buy this book and I want to buy the next one. My friend goes, yeah, it's over here in the romance section. Nailed. What? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have absolutely embraced and loved romance since and have found that romance, ha- romance has all of the genres of spec fiction as flavors of romance. And that was my gateway drug into trying romance as well as continuing to love science fiction and fantasy. Excellent. For me, I had a couple that I would say were gateways. And these are all during my youth because it was the first things I tried. Um, I would call it, say, Melanie Ron. We were talking about Melanie Ron before. was a great gateway into understanding more romantic fiction. I wouldn't call it a romance. I would call it fantasy that is inspired by romance, Mm -hmm. right? Um, the Sunrunner books by Melanie Ron, and they were great for in- making that. Like, I finished these books, I read further in the genre. It was years later, you know, two or three years later, when I was reading a new one of them, I said, you know, these are actually romances. And that was a big moment for me because romance is the genre that the other genres like to pick on, right? It sells so much better that I think a lot of the other genres have little brother or sister syndrome where they're like, oh, romance novels, ooh, romance. Uh, <laughs> I won't touch romance. I'm too manly to touch romance. And yet the Sunrunner books are, are romances. 
Um, and they are, they are beautiful. They're wonderful books with an excellent magic system. Now, I think the important thing to remember when we are having a discussion of you know, genre crossing and gateways is that you have to set aside the thought that a given genre is X, it right. is whatever. It, you, you, can't, you can't look down on it. You can't look sideways at it. You can't say, oh, I would never read that. You have to start with enough of an open mind that the book you're reading is, that you're going to be able to embrace all the elements of that book. If there is a good romance in a science fiction book, uh, and you have said that you hate romances, um, yeah, you may have a hard time when you get to that portion of the book. So don't say that. Embrace yeah. that bit of the story. I find that this has, has, as I'm trying to think back, what are the books that have done this? I think my reading just tends to go in phases. Mm-hmm. And there's always some crossover book. Like when I was in elementary school, I was fantasy all the way. And that is all I read. And then I read deep enough into the Pern books that I realized, wait, she tricked me. These are science fiction. And then that got me reading science fiction. I went through my huge science fiction phase, culminating with Dune, which has so much fantasy in it that I started reading fantasy again. And back and forth and different things, you know, different books have, have pointed me in one direction or another. As I go. Now, the genre that has always and remains elusive to me is nonfiction. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah. But some of my favorite nonfiction books have been the ones where they feature a big idea. And, you know, I've, I've loved, I love science fiction. I love the big idea stories. Um, and a couple of examples are uh, The Black Swan by Nassim Nicholas Taleb, um, and uh, Freakonomics and Super Freakonomics by, I forget their names, the, the Stevens, the Freakonomic, yep. yeah. Freakonomics guys. And in both of these, Dubner I was- Dubner and Levitt, I think. Yeah, Steve mm-hmm. Dubner, thank you. Dub, Dubner and Levitt. Um, uh, the nonfiction isn't just, oh, it's a biography of this person, or oh, it's a blob, it's an encyclopedia entry of this historical event. Um, these were books that analyzed things and drew interesting conclusions that were larger, which is something that the science fiction that I was reading was doing all the time anyway. Now, the crossover bit, you know, was I reading one thing that crossed me over? No. What crossed me over was when somebody described the book to me and said, oh, yeah, you know, this and this and this and this, but what's actually going on is, and I realized, (gasps) Oh, there's an intellectual puzzle in the real world that's as interesting as the science fiction I read? I will try buying that book. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's stop for a book of the week. All right. Book of the week. This is one of my favorite little uh, gateway cross genres of the last year, which is uh, The Diabolic by S.J. Kincaid. Um, she's an author I talk about a lot. She did a great cyberpunk YA series. This one is young adult epic space opera that is also a Machiavellian political court book that is also a romance. 
Uh, it starts, it's about the diabolic is a, a, an engineered being, a girl who is created to be a killer, and she is purchased and raised as a bodyguard for a, what's basically a duchess. And then the royal imperial court at the center of the galaxy decides that they want that duchess to come and live in the court for a while, so they send the diabolic in her place to masquerade as her. And uh, it is fantastic fantastic book uh and has been it has already caused a lot of people to jump genres people who love YA romance read this and all of a sudden they are all over space opera and they've been looking for more uh it made me want to you know <laughs> read more romances because it was such a good one and I came from the space opera direction so the diabolic by SJ Kincaid you know it's interesting uh talking about young adults uh, because for many years, young adult was not segregated by genre in the bookstores and mm-hmm. the libraries. It was just the young adult section, which allowed a lot more of this sort of, you pick up a book, you don't quite know what yeah. genre it is, you read it, you you introduce and, something and most new. most sections, I think, are still like that for the most part, but they do break out. They've broken out. Paranormal uh, romance. Not just, they've just done. Dystopian. They do romance and adventure and like yeah. minor in YA and fantasy. YA, yeah. Uh, so it, it just doesn't happen that way anymore. But I feel like graphic novels have often been the same way. That, you know, the, there's a graphic novel section. It's usually in the science fiction section, but it includes all mm-hmm. kinds of graphic novels. Um, well, and when you touch on when you talk about books with pictures in them, uh, the superhero genre of comic book is what 90%, I'm pulling that number out of thin air, but it's probably right, of Americans think of when they think of, when they think of the word comic book. Oh, it's going to have superheroes in it. Probably way more than 90%. It, yeah. Probably. Um, but if you are in Japan, or really anywhere <laughs> besides the United States... Uh, whatever the word is for comic book in that language does not mean it's a superhero book. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's an underpants on the outside book. It may have, and I've read a lot of uh, read a lot of uh, uh, manga that is very, very dramatic and very, you know, it's it's romance, it's political intrigue, it's there's no superheroes in this anywhere. Um, the crossover. There's a lot of magical girls, though. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of. There's a lot of magical girls. Especially, yeah. Um, but the crossover here, the you know where the where the genres blend, um, is yeah. I bring this up because what we were talking about about bookstores, comic book shops in the U.S. are just weird places who haven't yet figured out how to cross sell the the you know the manga to the people who are buying the graphic novels. Um, I don't know what the answer is, but I'm fascinated by the problem because I love both kinds of stories. That is interesting because, I mean, as an anime um, fan, like, I love reading manga. I love reading manga. I I even get into manhwa, which is the Korean Mm -hmm. comic books. And I actually started reading Thai as a kid by reading manga, Japanese manga, that's been translated into Thai. Okay. And so that always confused my Japanese friends because they'd come over and they see all of this great manga. <laughs> they'd open it up and they couldn't read it because it was in Thai, <laughs> not Japanese. Um, but like the the stories in there, you get your slice of life. You get your high school romance. You get your magical girl. You get some of your superheroes. You get some of your really heavy-duty horror mm-hmm. in there. And, and there's just some really, really great genres there. 
I'm surprised because it's been my experience that people who appreciate comic books in the U.S. also have a tendency to like some of the other geek fandoms and be open to them, like gaming and like Mm -hmm. anime. And so they would readily kind of cross over. So I'm going to post this back at you because you, during the break, basically said this is Piper's career the the example um, just like cross genre um, things like this. What did you mean by that? That like this is my what I do. Oh, that's fun. Um, so I started out in publishing as a uh, PJ Schneider, and PJ Schneider wrote um, sci-fi romance as well as paranormal romance. Now my sci-fi romance was intended to be a gateway so that romance readers who had never given science fiction a chance would embrace science fiction. And so it wouldn't be hard sci-fi. It was more space opera, but it had those strong elements where they were willing to be drawn into the sci-fi world. Um, I wrote a lot of steampunk with romantic elements. Uh, Paranormal romance was my pull for people who like urban fantasy. They like werewolves. They like shapeshifters. They like vampires. Um, to come into the romance genre and taste it because this is predominantly about werewolves. It just so happens that the central line of the story is the romance focus as opposed to an action focus or a mystery focus. And then I was asked to cross genres myself. And I was asked to cross genres from paranormal romance to romantic suspense. And the the feeling that my um, my agent and the editors had faith in me was that my action scenes, my world building, my character development could be set into a contemporary standpoint and take out those paranormal elements um, of urban fantasy or of paranormal romance and still have a really solid, engaging, romantic sense storyline and be able to cross over into contemporary that way. So let me kind of pitch a different thing at you. Why is this important? Why do we need crossover? Why do we need to, why were you interested in pulling people from romance to sci-fi? Because there's no way any one author can write enough fast enough for the readers who love them to be able to continue to continually have something to read. So being able to give readers more possibilities as to what they could go out there and read and enjoy to me is, is a lot of fun. And that way readers don't get bored and they still love us, even if we write slow. (laughs) <laughs> you you raised you raised an interesting question. I'm all about you know how do I how do I write cross genres, and well, I mean the first answer to the question is uh, listen to season sixteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you yes. know the whole discussion of elemental genre sixteen uh, season. Season 11, 11. 2016's episode. Yes. <laughs> it's all, yeah, whatever. Well, Howard the Time Traveler says, season 16, we will cover it's this gonna be really great. well in four it, years. It will, have, it will have been my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, the elemental genres was all about how to mix the different concepts. Yeah. and. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, Piper, you know, one of the things you said was, oh, you know, if you strip away these world-building pieces, you could set this story just fine. You know, it works just fine as a, as a romance. For me, for, for a cross-genre thing to really work, if I want to draw people into sci-fi uh, from someplace else, I have to make sure that both stories I'm telling can't be stripped away in that way. The romance can't just be window dressing. The science fiction can't just be paint on the walls. Oh, and there I There has to be a reason for both. Again, I'm not saying that's what you're doing. I'm just saying uh, for, our, for our listeners, if you want to build this, build it that way so that when they head into the science fiction section, they're engaging on the elemental 
on the elemental level. Yeah, when you build it, you have to make sure that it is still a complete world build. Like, you yeah. can't strip something out and just think it's okay. You have to make sure that it's strong on its own. Um, coming from a YA perspective where we talk about trying to engage kids who aren't into reading yet, but I think this also applies to adults who ne- aren't necessarily into reading or, or don't know. Cross-genre is usually where a kid will find the thing that they love. You know, every reluctant reader is just a kid who hasn't found what they love yet. And, you know, I can't tell you how many people uh, I have talked to who are hardcore horror fans now because they read something like The Mad Man's Daughter by Megan Shepard, which is, you know, science fiction romance horror. And one of those three pulled them in and got them hooked on one of the other ones. And it just, it, it helps people find what they love. Well, we are out of time for this uh, episode and really for this season. <laughs> we will be back next week with, uh, with Dan, me, uh, Howard, and Mary to kind of wrap up uh, season 12. So this is our last chance to have Piper, uh, at least for this year. We will definitely have you back in future years. Yay! But thank you so much. Um, and as I mentioned before on a, on a few weeks ago, thank you to our Patreons. Um, our patrons on Patreon for supporting <laughs> us, uh, letting us be able to do this. If you have feedback on season 12, how this has played out, how having guest hosts has played out, please let us know um, on the website. Uh, just give us a reply or email us and let us know because we really want to hear how to make the podcast better. And we were very excited about this year. We want to see how it went for you guys. Um, I am going to close this out with a writing prompt. Our writing prompt is, I want you to write a story where one of the characters thinks they're in a different genre from what the story actually is. They think they're in a story from a different genre. How does it go? This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.